Yo, we're live. This is different. I like it. Dude, I'm I'm excited for it. I've been we've been talking about this for a while. We just decided to finally hit that button and do it. Kind of got to rip the bandaid off at some point, you know. Just think of it that way. <laughs> get into it somehow. So this is episode 114 of the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. As you can see, Tug is not with us, and I do mean see for the first time in podcast history. It's pretty cool. Um, but well, you know, we got Bug here. This is kind of the second, kind of the second. I mean, our first one we did was the NFL Fair. draft. I, you know, I'm not really going to count that. I, I mean, that was our episode for that that release. I mean, it was also like four hours, so <laughs> this one won't be that long. God, hopefully. Gosh, uh, let's go ahead and get into things. Uh, before we do, though, I did want to mention that I've been getting really into Sudoku. And I'm not kidding. Sudoku puzzles are really interesting to me. But I found this app, and it was like giving me these quote-unquote daily challenges. And uh, this one for today, it was like only 89% of people who attempted this have been able to solve it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That is, Sounds it's fake. not something you advertise at that point. Just be like, yeah, if you can't solve it, you're a moron. But also, it made me think that has to be like the worst feeling in the world. If you start up the Daily Challenge Doku, see that 90% of the people who started it finished it, and you're like, I can't figure this out. And that's also how current players at Alabama have to feel right now, not winning the national championship. <laughs> Oh, you went there, huh? <laughs> I got to rub it in when I get the chance. <laughs> so, so let's get into things. Uh, not a whole lot of NFL news up top. We're going to be talking about each of the games individually in the order that they happen, right? So we want to get to that team news and everything as we get down to those games. Did want to mention, though, Seattle Seahawks, not a playoff team, did just fire their defensive coordinator. And Ken Norton has been with the Seahawks for a long time. Well, at least with Pete Carroll for a long time in some various roles. He also played linebacker for Pete Carroll, actually. And they're looking at several options for replacements. The one that interests me most is the Broncos defensive coordinator, which, I mean, that Broncos defense was definitely the best part of that team. It would be interesting to say the least, but you know, we still don't know who the Broncos are going to get as head coach. They might want to keep, might want to keep Ed Donatel. I mean, that was, it was pretty good defense. It, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. And it, I don't know how much of it's going to be the D coordinator though. You know, Vic Fangio did a great job with the bears. That's how he got his head coaching shot. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out for him. I don't know how much of that was completely in his control. I mean, when you give up your best defensive player or one of your best defensive players just so that you can give him a shot at getting a ring, it, it really hampers you that much more. Right. But getting back to the Seahawks for a second, it was very interesting to see statistically how that defense broke out. They were next to bottom in the league in yards allowed. They were top 10 in the league, I believe, at least really close to top 10 in the league in points allowed. So kind of a, a defense that Tug would preach, right? You bend, don't break. 
but maybe they advanced <laughs> a little bit too much. I mean, they let up let up quite a few big plays, uh, especially in that secondary. Defensive line wasn't as bad as I expected it, though. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely could have been worse. And, you know, your prediction almost came true. We almost had the entire NFC West in the playoffs. And, unfortunately, the Seahawks were the ones that ruined that for them. So getting back to the Broncos for just a second, there has been a clear favorite emerge for their head coaching position. Apparently, Dan Quinn is the guy they're looking most heavily into, which I don't like that personally, and I see you don't like it either. I, I didn't hate it uh, until until this past week. Yeah, and you know, I I think if if you're a fan of the Seahawks, you're a fan of you know, I, this is the Broncos obviously getting mixed up there a little bit. But if you're a fan of the Broncos, you got to be very nervous because not only did Dan Quinn crumble as coach of the Atlanta Falcons, he crumbled this week against the 49ers and the Cowboys. I will say, I'll, I'll give him credit here. They were able to adjust in the second half, and we'll talk more about this later. But man, I, I don't know that I want anybody from that Cowboys staff after what just happened on Sunday. Well, maybe the Cowboys do, but we'll get back into that. When we get to that game, uh, for right now, I would say that's probably it for NFL news, other than talking about the games, which we will do later. First, let's get into some college news. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about here, but I did want to mention some big-time transfers that we haven't really talked about yet. I believe the only transfers we have discussed are quarterbacks, namely you know, Quinn Ewers, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams transferring, uh, I mean, Texas A&M's guy, I can never figure out how to pronounce his name. Uh, the Missouri quarterback going to Indiana, right? Other than the quarterbacks, who else is transferring right now around college football? And one trend that I have found very interesting, there is a string of group of five offensive linemen going to the SEC this year, which is really cool. I like that a lot. Western Kentucky has a tackle going to Ole Miss. Florida International had an offensive lineman, uh, another tackle, actually, going to LSU. And Louisiana has had two offensive linemen and their running back follow the head coach to Florida. So I just want to say, if these schools are willing to accept these offensive linemen now, then they weren't in the recruiting process, right? You'd have to think, you know, take the – Take Mason Brooks out of Western Kentucky. If he got the Ole Miss offer up front, he probably would have gone to Ole Miss right away. So why is it so hard to evaluate offensive linemen? What makes that so challenging? You know, I think this is really, you know, on our last episode, we handed out our awards for the year, offensive, defensive. And we went with Creed Humphrey as the offensive rookie of the year. And I even said it, I nominated him. There's not a ton of statistics and every anything that is out there is just some brainchild of some dude, you know, in his basement or just somebody who's super into numbers. There's nothing official and it makes it hard for kind of that money ball strategy to come into play there because you actually have to look at film. You actually have to understand what they're doing, when they're doing it, why they're doing it. And if a play breaks down, how much of that is on that particular lineman versus the entire offense play call all the way down to the talent on the field? Yeah, and I would say, too, scheme has to factor into it as well. 
that's something we've seen going back to quarterbacks for a second. I mean, this is my guy, so I have to talk about him. But Cameron Ward in high school wasn't in an offense that let him demonstrate that he knew how to throw the ball. And so he only got FCS offers because he was going to camps and he was lighting things up. But as an offensive lineman, scheme is also important. There's zone blocking schemes. There's power blocking schemes. Depending on what you're doing, it's going to change what people think of you, what you're capable of, right? So, I mean, we see that in the NFL a lot with like a specific type of offensive lineman being better fit with one team over the other, right? I mean, the Eagles are one of the biggest examples in my eyes of one of the made zone blocking schemes in the NFL just the way that works is so different. So maybe, I don't know, maybe as you go up in levels, you know, the schemes get a little bit more complex, a little bit more intertwined. So in a high school level, maybe you're only running one scheme and nothing else, even though you, know, you get up to the college and the NFL, you're going to be running all sorts of different schemes. You'll have a tendency, but you'll be running a little bit of everything. Maybe in high school, it's just harder to identify that because you're going to be married to something a little bit more closely. I'm kind of yeah. reaching here, I feel like, but I think it's it might be true. I think it definitely is because, I mean, there's the, everybody talks about the leap from college to NFL. The leap from high school to college is massive, too. I mean, you right. one, you have to have the talent to do it. Like, let's not discount that. But you have to have a love and commitment for the game that, you might not realize you have or don't have, you know, you right. see that offer. It's, it's a dream come true. And now all of a sudden, maybe this isn't exactly what I want to do. So you kind of have to roll with that. And that does play a factor. You're talking about that. I'm just, my mind immediately jumps to Tate Martell retiring from football as of today. Yeah. <laughs> all you do. Man, his, he talked about peaking in high school, right? QB1 to uh, retiring out of UNLV after being at Ohio State, Miami, doing everything he can to stay in you know, D1 and retiring. Focus and, on business and, majors instead. <laughs> I mean, QB1 is going to give him that for sure. That's for sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. Definitely for sure. I just thought it was fun that you know, we're seeing some offensive linemen at least getting recognized from smaller schools, making the jump. Always like to see that. Some other big transfers, transfers that we haven't talked about yet, another group of five to Power Five here uh, we'll start off with, Jackson Player, one of the biggest names that we talked about for Tulsa going into the season. And he had a decent season, all things told, but you know, I want to see more of him before he becomes a draftable prospect, right? Well, he's going to Baylor now and is going to be able to compete for Big 12 titles. Now, there with the defending champs, Baylor Bears, that's going to be pretty awesome. I'd love to see that. I mean, Tulsa has absolutely been on a tear. So this is – and really, he's going to be a great addition and help them continue the stretch that they've been on at Baylor. So – the Death Star is also amassing even more empire. Uh, the Eli Ricks corner from LSU is headed to Alabama. Jameer Gibbs, the best running back that Georgia Tech has had in quite some time, is headed to Alabama. 
it feels like the same as you know going from group of five to LSU is going from any other power five school to Alabama, mm-hmm. which I hate to say that, but it feels like that's true right now. Uh, I think what's what's most disappointing about this is that he's going from Georgia Tech to Bama, and Bama did not run the ball well in that national championship game, and maybe they just found the answer that you right. know, wasn't play calling. They have the player to get it done now. Yeah, isn't it creepy how they fill all their holes and never have any needs anymore after, like, maybe six months of, oh, man, I wonder how we're going to fill this position Oh, here's three five stars throwing themselves at me. Oh man, so 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 difficult. so tough. The hardship tour to Alabama. Gosh, uh, Brandon Joseph, probably my favorite Big Ten football player outside of Ohio State, uh, is no longer in the Big Ten. He's going to Notre Dame. Uh, really fantastic safety. If you've seen Brandon Joseph play, it is something else. He made Justin Fields look very much pedestrian in that Big Ten championship game, Ohio State Northwestern. So headed to Notre Dame to probably replace, essentially, Kyle Hamilton, the best safety prospect we've seen in a long time coming into this year's draft. So good for Brandon Joseph. Hopefully he gets a little bit more in the win column leaving Northwestern. Hey, Notre Dame got straight on it, building back, building better, and uh, poaching a guy like Brandon Joseph absolutely did it. Another big one is tight end, Jaleel Billingsley, one of the biggest named tight end prospects going into the year. Got relegated to a backup role at Alabama, and so he's now he's going to Texas. Backup at Alabama is going to go start in another Power 5 program. Blue blood at that, so... Okay. Blue blood, blue blood to blue blood too. Right. Uh, this is kind of what I've said from the beginning with the transfer portal is when you've got five stars backing up five stars or four stars backing up four stars. Now they've got the freedom to go somewhere where they're going to get a chance to play. You know, I know Nick Saban wants to sit there and say, oh, you know, they don't want to overcome adversity. But the fact of the matter is you are not going to win a spot from a guy like, say, Derrick Henry or – Bryce Young like you're not going to win a spot from them without an injury a historic colossal drop off like you're without those two things you're not winning that starting spot in practice and you went there to play football and yes absolutely Alabama's able to say you will play in a national championship game before you graduate if not multiple and you know in Texas Sure, they probably got the oil money that they're throwing at these guys. Same thing with Texas A&M. But they also just don't have as much talent. They still have that name. They still have that historical significance. Right. They're going to be able to pull these guys away pretty easily. And it will eventually level the playing field, in my opinion. You would think it would. We'll see what happens. Texas going to the SEC before too much longer is going to change things a lot, too. So... Oh, man. College football is going to look a lot different in a couple of years. It's not even going to be fair to say the SEC is dominating everything because they just took the best teams from every conference. Right. Congrats. I want to see Ohio State, Notre Dame. Let's get Clemson in the SEC. Everybody. Let's get USC in the SEC. Screw it. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) 
a couple more to talk about. So Kingsley, Sumataya, Su, uh, wow, I messed that up. Sumataya. Better than I was going to pa- ever hope to do. Um, one of those Pacific Islanders who always seems to end up at Oregon recently um, is leaving Oregon. The offensive tackle five-star prospect is going to BYU. Now that would have been basically seen as a step down. BYU is independent, but they're kind of lumped into the group of five usually, but now they're going to the big 12. They're going to be joining the big 12 probably inside this guy's college career at this point. So you kind of have to think of this as a power five to power five move. Absolutely. And Hey, you know, this was another thing we talked about, and this kind of applies to another team that's going to the Big 12, Cincinnati. Everything about Cincinnati got 10 times more appealing, and that includes Luke Fickle staying. Well, in Houston, too, man. UCF, they kind of get some of the benefit, but it feels like they're off in their own world anyway. And that if you weren't attracted to UCF before, I don't think this is going to attract you to them anymore. <laughs> But Houston, Cincinnati, BYU definitely are getting helped with this for sure. And I think the best thing about it, too, is Houston and BYU absolutely have a tradition there. They have a powerhouse name almost. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm very surprised I didn't try and get SMU as opposed to getting Cincinnati and UCF. That's the thing. Cincinnati and UCF have had way more success in the American. Even Houston's had some pretty good success in the American it's uh, yeah. This we're going to be talking about this for a while about just how the landscape of college football is changing, and it it's not slowing down. Really, I wouldn't have been too surprised if they went after SMU and Tulane. I mean, two kind of historic powers. But is Tulane know, a power to, though? They used to be. They used yeah, to be forever and ever and ever ago. I mean, what was it the? 60s, they won a couple of SEC titles. I was about to say, yeah, I think they have as many SEC championships as Ole Miss. Yeah, or maybe uh, maybe it's one less. I don't remember. <laughs> that was that was a fun yeah. day. I think they have more SEC titles than half the SEC combined. But <laughs> uh, one more I wanted to talk about here: Jared Verse is transferring from Albany to Florida State. That is a jump up in talent level. And uh, I'm very excited for Jared Verse. Now, one thing to know about this guy, as a defensive end, he was a finalist for the Jerry Rice Award, which is basically the FCS Heisman. So basically at a FCS level, he was this year's Chase Young. And if Florida State's getting a guy who can perform at that level in Division One FBS football, that's pretty scary. And I'm, I'm happy for the guy getting some real opportunity here. I'm going to slow you down here. The FCS Heisman, FCS Heisman is the Walter Payton Award. The Jerry Rice Award goes oh, to the Jerry Rice is freshman. freshman. Yeah. So okay. either way. Close not, enough. Not to, yeah, not to take anything <laughs> away from the accomplishment there. It's still – amazing and 
I wouldn't be surprised if more and more teams start looking at maybe doing that when they see a freshman with that much talent. They're like, hey, why don't you why don't you come up to to the big boy level, so to speak? Well, and especially now that there's no penalty for transferring, you don't have to sit out a year, right? Mm-hmm. Why not get a guy who has all the momentum in the world, has shown he has the talent, get him up into your strength program for a year and just let him loose. I mean, there's no harm in that. I would think. Uh, I mean, yeah, none that I can think of anyway. <laughs> but it is, it's really good to see somebody get an opportunity like this. And hopefully in the future, you know, we can see some, maybe some offensive linemen from Missouri Valley Conference end up in the SEC. I mean, some first round talents down there might as well get them against some bigger competition with brighter lights. Why not? Uh, that would be fun. Why not? And, you know, we've already talked about the Missouri Valley is probably all going to go to FBS at some point anyway. So why not just expedite like the process, it. right? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if there's a couple of teams that really couldn't handle it, but you also have probably eight teams that could right now. Oh, so yeah. why not? Why not? But, you know, we spent plenty of time talking about some, uh, I won't say obscure, but probably some college news that slid a little under the radar for most people. Yeah. There's a, something big that, something big that went on this weekend. And, uh, I think I think we want to talk about the games first. I think that's fair, but I, I do have a serious problem with how this weekend went. So let's just break it down game by game. What do you say? I have a problem with how this weekend went as well, and that's because I'm in last place in our bracket challenge. But you know, I'll recover. It's okay. <laughs> if you if you missed our episode last week, our point system goes uh, one win or a win in the first round is one point. So Super Wild Card Weekend. In the divisional round, it'll be two points per win, per uh, correct correct game pick. AFC Championship three, and if you pick a Super Bowl winner, it's four. So I'm currently sitting at five points with the lead here. Tug not with us. He's sitting at four. And Doug, you're sitting at three, man. I'm but, not that uh, far off, but I'm, I'm, I am feel like I'm far off. Yeah, you, know? you might as well be a mile away, right? <laughs> well, to be fair, all of my – winners in the divisional round did make it to the divisional round at least. So I still have a chance. Eh, we'll, you know. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> uh, I think, I think we're talking about these games in the order they happened, right? So we would start off with Raiders Bengals. Yeah. I think that makes the most sense, man. I'll it, uh, hand it to you. What do you got? Yeah. So 1926, this was really the best game of the weekend overall, not just year uh, too. 1926. <laughs> uh, it really was the best, best game of the weekend. And that's, that's everything you can see Tug's comment here. We'll get to that in a little bit, man. I promise. And I can't say I disagree with you there. Uh, it wasn't even close, man. Like, it, it was the best game, and it, you just felt like the Bengals had a stranglehold on this one. If you were a Raiders fan or if you've watched the Raiders at all this year, the only thing that kind of kept you interested in this is that the Raiders have been a come-from-behind team 
all year. Otherwise, man, there's there's really nothing you could have you could have thought the that the Raiders would have gotten back into it. You'll notice though that it was a seven point uh, differential, which easily makes it the best, if not. Yeah, it's one of the best for sure, if not the best. I can see an argument for another game, and we'll get there shortly. Uh, but we got to talk about this because this was the story really of the whole weekend, and the aftermath of it has also made some headlines and turned some heads here. But I can't, I think it was the second touchdown for the Bengals. It was a crucial touchdown. Joe Burrow rolling out to his right, running, running, running linemen coming defenders coming he's jumping out of bounds but he gets rid of the ball before he touches the ground clearly in bounds when he threw the ball he was not out of bounds outside the balls two and a half feet from uh i think it was t higgins who caught this touchdown say it was about two and a half feet from t higgins and uh whistle blows i, I might be exaggerating it might have been a little bit further it might not have passed the defender in front of him you could definitely tell that some people stopped playing. That is for sure. Higgins catched a touchdown, ruled a touchdown on the field. No problem with them ruling a touchdown on the field. Right. You However, have I, you have to. Yeah. I heard it as it happened. I was like, well, they're going to have to replay that play. Right. And, and really, at first when I heard it, I was like, did he step out of bounds? Because, like, you know, real speed, game time, you never know. Things are going fast, like. Yeah, maybe maybe he did replay. Sure enough, he did not step out of bounds. Even the announcers were showing a replay with audio, and they showed it once, and they're like, "Oh, you know, sometimes the audio on the replay, blah blah blah." Because I get not wanting to drag an announcer during a live broadcast, but they absolutely blew that one. It should have been a replay of downs, and yeah. uh, that crew's done for the year. I think. Well, to be fair. On that comment specifically, to be fair, wild card ref crews usually don't get selected to move on in the playoffs anyway. Right, it's normally right. a divisional round ref crew that gets the Super Bowl. It would have had to have been an exceptionally called game for them to be considered for the Super Bowl. So, yes, they're done for the season, but they should have been anyway, really. So that I think that one, that specific point got taken a little bit too far. Like, yeah, that's that was expected. Yeah. Also, yeah, very... that was a bad call, and that's that's not exactly why they're done for the year. Yeah, and I totally understand Raiders fans' frustrations, and, you know, Raiders fans are going to sit here and scream from the mountaintops that they get hosed by the officials all the time. The NFL's out to get them. I can't say that for sure. I'm not going to accuse the officials of that. Right. Uh, but this was, this was bad. And the a whole crew, nobody knowing that that can't stand, nobody in the booth, you know, with the radio to the head official being, you know, there's got to be some way to communicate with those guys on the field from the, from the booth upstairs, some way and say, Hey, you need to replay this down something that has to exist to prevent stuff like this from happening because this is this is unexcusable. It absolutely should not be happening in a playoff game. I'll throw out there, though, the Bengals had all the momentum in the world when this happened. I don't know that replaying the down prevents them from beating a first down or touchdown anyway. I know that's not a lot of consolation, and it's when you start even, getting in the what-ifs, man. Even if it did stop them, though, I don't know if the Raiders would have won then. 
mean, the Bengals looked like a – they really did feel like a better team for most of this, honestly. Mm-hmm. It was close on the scoreboard, but, yeah, I mean, the Raiders – let's be real. I think everyone was surprised the Raiders were here. So I think the Raiders were surprised they were there too. <laughs> right. Right. So obviously the Raiders got there without John Gruden. Rich Basatia took mm-hmm. over as interim head coach and things have kind of changed with this story. Even since I put these notes in last night, I was thinking he's probably not going to be there because Mayock's probably going to be gone, which by the way, we will talk about Mike Mayock being canned here in a little bit, but I'm also seeing reports that he's still going to interview and he might be retained when they get a new GM. I, they better take a good long look and listen to this guy because not only did he turn the midseason collapse around that has kind of become trademark for the Raiders at this point, he got them into a high wild card seed. And then after he loses, this guy's a player coach. He hand wrote a note to every single player on the Raiders and I don't know really how much that means as far as is he a good coach, is he not a good coach, but he is 100% a player coach. You saw what he was able to do with half a season. If I'm incoming as GM, he's getting all of next season. That would be interesting. It's going to come down to what Mark Davis wants. And all the rumors I've seen are that he's really coming hard after Jim Harbaugh. Now, whether or not that happens, I am not convinced that it will. But, you know, if if your owner wants somebody else, you're not going to be around. Just the way life works. But, yes, I am rooting for this guy. It seems like he, at the very least, was able to rally the troops in a big way. And that's not something every head coach is really capable of, honestly. So, at least seeing him in some coaching capacity next year whether with the Raiders or not I I expect to see him on the sideline somewhere and I'll say this too I hope he gets kind of pushed out of the Raiders if they're not going to keep him I hope they get rid of him quick because I don't want him to not be on the sideline somewhere next year he deserves it he 100% deserves it and he's shown multiple reasons why I think they're going to have to do a couple things personnel-wise to get over that hump and get a playoff win and get rolling in the playoffs. But Rick Passatia very well might be the answer to all of that. Sorry for looking at my phone there for a second, but it turns out that uh, Mark Stoops at Kentucky just hired his brother, Mike Stoops, to be the linebacker's coach at Kentucky. Huge story. Definitely worth looking at my phone for. All right, we're done. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, well, I needed a transition, so... Yeah, a rough, awkward transition works there, right? Mike Mayock, <laughs> he uh, he was expected to be out as a general yeah. manager, and as expected, he was canned. Gotta Which say, is kind of unfortunate to me because I liked a lot of his moves. Now I know that's going to sound a little bit controversial because you're about to list some of the quote unquote dumb the... draft picks that he had. I actually I like a lot of those picks personally. They just didn't work out for whatever reason. I mean, even taking Cleveland Furl at number four overall in his first draft, that was seen as ludicrous by most people. He was a fantastic defensive lineman at Clemson. 
now he's backing up one of the best edge rushers in the NFL that people aren't talking about in Max Crosby. Okay, he's the backup to one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. That's okay, right? Damon Arnett was a good corner. Maybe he was getting aided by having some other good corners in his room at Ohio State, but he really was a good corner in college. He really didn't allow any touchdowns his final season at Ohio State. That's true. That's still true about the guy. So you can't blame him for that not working out necessarily. He took the information he had, made the selection that he did. Henry Ruggs, yeah, okay. How could you ever predict that? One of the most talented receivers we've seen in college football, and it turned out he was on a team of three of the most talented receivers we've seen in college football, right? So you take one of them, happened to pick the one that can't handle himself in public, (laughs) Uh, has a bit of a drinking and then continuing to operate motor vehicles problem. Yeah. Um, How could you have known that, right? He wasn't 21 yet when they drafted him, was he? I mean, this guy was... I don't think so. You couldn't have known that, right? So some of the later round picks that we're not nobody's going to talk about really seem like they have worked out. I mean, the offensive line for as terrible as everyone expected it to be really held together decently well. You know, Josh Jacobs, everyone clowned that pick, and I don't understand why. He had a fantastic rookie season, and yes, he took a regression the next year. Okay, basically everybody does. But he was also still really good and one of the best running backs, at least in the division. So some of the picks, yes, I understand being frustrated that they didn't work out. I also wouldn't blame Mike Mayock for that. No, and I don't think you can either. There's no way you can foresee discipline problems with Arnett or Rugg specifically when they have nothing previous that they've done that would cause concern, right? They do right. extensive research into these guys. It's why Michael Parsons fell so far, right? Right. And then the guys the only... that you have concerns about end up turning out fine. I mean, Larry McDonald mm-hmm. hasn't been an issue for anybody, right? And then the the real head scratcher was Alex Leatherwood. Everybody wanted them to go out and get uh, the safety. Now that I'm talking about it, his name's escaping me. You know exactly who I'm talking about, though. Sure, Oscar, there they you go. Him. I knew they got, him. they got him in the second round anyway. They got him anyway. They could have really flipped those either way. And you're right. right. It, it, the optics of his his three first round draft picks over the past two years, it looks bad in retrospect. At the time, they were great picks, and the guys that you're not going to talk about in the later rounds, he absolutely did a good job on. But he's too close to Gruden, and ultimately, I think that is why he got canned. Right. I don't. I don't think you can sit here and say that he did a horrible job. I mean, somebody told Rick Basacia, "Hey, you're going to be the interim head coach." So I, I think ultimately this does come down to his relationship with John Gruden. And that's well, okay. We did a lot of defending Mike Mayock there. I will say the talent on that roster was lacking in several key areas. And even as good as some of his later round picks were, at least as far as what I've seen, I mean, right. There's a reason not many people expected them to be in the playoffs. Congrats yeah. for getting there, but you know, Derek Carr threw for 
probably a career high in yards again, like he does every year somehow magically, even without any receivers. I mean, you can't just expect that to work out. And yes, Trayvon Merrick had a good season as a rookie safety, but also who else do you have a defensive back? Nobody. Okay. I mean, you have a couple of decent edge rushers. Who's up the middle? Nobody. Who's in the linebacking core? I can't name anyone, honestly. The last linebacker the Raiders had that I could name, they traded to the Bears. So, And you, you got to wonder how much that's still singing, how much that's right. sitting there, and how much is he connected to Derek Carr? Because a lot of fans, and I'm sure Mike Davis and a lot of higher-ups, are ready to move on from him. And really, I don't know right. that I can blame him. If Mike Mayock wasn't and showed that he wasn't, it makes complete sense that he was shown the door. It also would make sense that Derek Carr would end up going somewhere and start winning immediately, right? He is that kind of guy. He is talented at quarterback. Yeah, yeah you know, very if, true. If he ends up going to Denver or Carolina or Philadelphia, I mean, those could end up being legit Super Bowl contenders very quickly. But there's I, no talent around him in Vegas right now is what it feels like. It, yeah, it certainly does. And, man, I I don't think Mike May would have been able to fix it. So uh, it makes sense. The firing makes sense. There were some other games that happened, though. I know we spent a lot of time here and really – Yeah. There... But we can move We can move pretty quickly through some of these. Yeah. I mean, that you see the score right here. Right. <laughs> uh, there's uh, a bigger on the field, though. That's fun. Hey, if you ever have the option to make the prop bet of will there be a dildo on the field for the Pats yeah. Bills, you take that bet. Or if happened. you get the opportunity to bet on you know, how many tables will be broken in Orchard Park, uh, take the over on whatever number they give you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be honest, too. Uh, I turned this one off at 21 nothing. And I missed the big man TD, so shame on me. But, uh, you know, I, I got to think some you. of – yeah, it was – sorry. I got to say, <laughs> most surprising about this to me is how bad the Patriots' defense looked. I mean, like legitimately, this was a combination of both good offense and really bad defense for one side. So that's supposed to be Bill Belichick's – Basically, that's his cup of tea, right? He is a defensive guy, and to see that crumble for him was very surprising. I will also say it's interesting to see Gerard Mayo getting a lot of head coaching interest after that absolute defensive collapse. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think we both picked New England too, so uh... – right. That's that's extra brutal, good, extra good, brutal there. Good job, Tug, picking the Bills. <laughs> oh uh, I I'll say this too. You know, the Patriots have dominated the AFC East. They've dominated the NFL for that matter for several right. years. And I oh, think I especially years. <laughs> feels like it. That game in what November, beginning of December, where they did nothing but run the ball. Mm-hmm. in Buffalo that was sticking with the bills and they were not going to take their foot off the gas for any reason. Yeah. And it, it definitely showed it had to feel good 
and they're taking a lot of momentum into next week to play the the Bengals, who, Another like you said, Chiefs. oh, that's right, they are playing the Chiefs. Yep, they're playing the Chiefs, and they're going to need that momentum because oh, yeah. that's oh yeah, it's going to be a tough place to play. It's going to be a little bit warmer than uh, the Buffalo though, so they got that going for them at least. I gotta say though, now that we've mentioned this already, uh, the other matchup in the AFC is going to be Bengals Titans. That is a sneaky, awesome matchup. Fingers everyone's crossed. everyone's going to be focused on Bills Chiefs, but man, I'm telling you right now, I fully expect Bengals Titans to be a better game. That is going to be something else. It's definitely going to be interesting, and we will talk more about the divisional round of the playoffs later this week but right now we got to go to uh maybe the most depressing game for me (laughs) um yeah so all right so this is true of the eagles the entire season and part of why i believe jalen hurts is not your real answer quarterback but it's also part of why you stash some eagles players on your team for fantasy (laughs) <laughs> the the entirety of their offense comes in the second half, which is fine for you know stats and fantasy, right? Uh, it usually does not win you football games. Now they won enough to get into this position. Kudos, good job there. They, you can see the scoreboard. Buccaneers basically doubled them. I mean that's kind of what happened again here, right? The Buccaneers got out to a lead. The Eagles started to score some points late. It's not enough against a really good team. You can't do that. You cannot only play one half of football every week and expect to become you know, a feared and respected football team. That's just not how that works. I got to say, as a Memphis fan, getting to see Kenny Gainwell get his first touchdown, I didn't care that it was in garbage time. And yeah. Jalen Hurts, he has heart. We all knew that. And it was on full display here. I got to say, though, man, Jake Elliott, he can kick the shit out of a ball, but he kicked every <laughs> onside attempt straight at a uh, up man for the Buccaneers. And, He's all uh, power, no finesse, apparently. <clears throat> man, it was – there was no shot on him. I got to say, too, during the broadcast, Troy Aikman even brought it up, and I was thinking the same thing. So it was pretty obvious, right? Devonta Smith was just not getting the ball in the first half at all. And that's really why they started to come to life in the second half. Aikman even said Smith would probably have a hundred yard, hundred plus yards and two touchdowns by this point. If I was playing quarterback right now, he was getting one-on-one coverage all day long. Right. So, or imagine if the teams swapped quarterbacks, man, that would have been very different. And I got to say too, they've got too many guys in that running back room. They, the running back by committee was huge there. And, the offensive coordinator, man, he—you've got to see something. You've got to notice that. If right, if everybody in America is noticing that Devonta Smith isn't getting the ball in man coverage when they've got six, seven on the line, they're daring right. you to pass the ball. Man, you know, I, I know a lot of the rumors about Jalen Hurts being unpopular with coaching and management. I know a lot of that was false. But you got to start looking at other options, I think, because there's some level of distrust there that is preventing them from progressing and being better than what we saw this week. It can simultaneously be true, and I believe that it is, 
also true that Jalen Hurts is not the problem in Philadelphia. Yes. Right? I yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we see I you're t- you're absolutely talking to the right person about this one, right? I got to say too, we haven't talked a lot about the Buccaneers, but if you even watched a minute of this game, you know that there's not a ton to say. This was near right. flawless. Something we didn't mention it was speaking a, it of was flawless. A Buccaneers game. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of flawless, we didn't mention this. The Bills had a perfect offensive game. Every time they got the ball, it ended in a touchdown. First time ever in first time ever in the playoffs, and I think it was the first time ever in NFL history. So props to the Bills there. I absolute dominating that, performance. But first time in the playoffs, fair enough. For sure. That's for sure. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. But you know, that's not gonna happen probably against the Chiefs. Or it will happen for both teams and whoever has the most whoever has the ball last. Yeah. <laughs> or if you can get that two for one. Right. At the end of the end of the first half. <laughs> be the game decider right there. Uh, but let's, let's go ahead and jump to the next game. Yeah, this, this is moving better, maybe. I mean, is it better? So this this is moving into our Sunday games and 49ers win by six points, right? 23 to 17 against Dallas. Technically Dallas the closest game of the weekend. Uh yeah. should not have been the closest game of the weekend. No. The 49ers kind of started to crumble a little bit, and that is kind of a testament to how good this Dallas offense is. They did not perform well at the beginning of the game. They were able to turn it on and do some things near the end of the game that absolutely helped them and put them in a better position. But 14 penalties is tough to overcome that. And then add on top of it that run up the middle near the end. I don't know what they were thinking. And, And I will say this, you know, again, Romo on this call, which, by the way, Troy Aikman was very upset he wasn't able to call this game. <laughs> Romo on the call for this one, he uh, he said it. He's like, the Niners need to be guarding the sidelines. Sure enough, next that play where Dak runs up the middle, three-man rush, every single defensive back is just lining the sidelines in five-yard increments. Like, there was nothing you were going to – you know, it, it actually was the best play call. And had they found a referee and handed a ball to the referee immediately, maybe they're able to get the ball spotted, get a spike with a second left. Right. I'm not going to blame the refs. Not like right. Dak Prescott. What I will say is the referee who went up to spot the ball was 30 yards behind the play when the Cowboys got up there. Now, I understand not wanting to get in the way, not running up you know, with the play as it's happening. But Dak was under center before that man moved. Uh, there, There is a little credence to it, all right? I'm not going to say there's absolutely zero. There's a little credence to it. But by and large, man, I don't – Okay, it does take time to spot the ball, though. Everyone kind of knows that. Yeah. It's not – the clock doesn't stop instant. for the refs to, you know, do what they need to do. It, it does take time. And if you can't – handle taking that amount of time which is like a second then you shouldn't be running the ball up the middle you need to be working the boundary which again is what they were defending and i understand the call and i understand the choice but if you if you don't have enough time to do that which they didn't then you can't do it so what else are you gonna do yeah it was uh it's a bad call by the the Cowboys, I mean, there's nothing really else to say about it. You've seen the memes. I've seen the memes. I've laughed. You've laughed. If you're a Cowboys fan, you probably cried. 
Man, I saw one uh, Cowboys fan uh, shattered his TV, and his wife and kids left him because he was too emotional. So they got a hotel, and he's like, "Damn you, Cowboys!" I'm like, "Dude, you need to look at yourself on that one." That is a uh, wow. <laughs> not not a good look for uh, America's team. I will. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Worth noting hey, too. They might keep their head coach though, so that's interesting. They might just run it back next year. You know, I mean, the McCarthy hire was a head scratcher from the start. The regular season Cowboys were really good this year. Now, I don't know what needs to happen for them to have success in the playoffs. And maybe this is part of the reason Aaron Rodgers was so mad at the Packers you know, a couple of years ago at this point because Mike McCarthy is not the guy for the playoffs. Maybe that's still true. But I do kind of understand keeping Mike McCarthy after that regular season and after the just insane amount of offense they were able to produce, again, in the regular season. I don't know what you would really want to change right now. Maybe give him another year. But... McCarthy has a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. He's got a Super Bowl. So, I mean, yep. it's just one of those things where it's you got to you, you gotta trust him a little bit, at least, right? And Kellen Moore, right. I don't think, had a great plan. I don't think Dan Quinn had a great plan. And I think the 49ers are ready. I mean, there's you got to give credit where it's due, and you've got to place blame where it's due, too. To be fair... Has Kellen Moore ever been a coordinator for a playoff game before? Nope. So then, once again, that would have to fall on Mike McCarthy. We're not preparing him for what he needs to do. No. There's a little bit of blame to go everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, not spending a lot of time talking about the 49ers. They felt in control of this game, even at the end. It would have been cool to see the Cowboys get that Hail Mary attempt just for the excitement factor. Yeah. But the level of control that the 49ers had on this game, much like most of these games, man, it really made it boring TV, honestly. Well, and until, until Nick Bosa went down. That was certainly yeah, interesting. That was scary. Yeah. Mm. I haven't okay, heard right? yeah, I haven't heard an official injury report if he's gonna be here or there next yeah. week. It's they're gonna need him in Green Bay. And uh, it's worth noting that Aaron Rodgers has never beaten the 49ers in the playoffs, and I'm going to need them to continue that. Please. Please. I mean, I'm on board with it. Let's do it. I picked the Packers, but I don't care. Let's see if 49ers beat them. (laughs) Bring it on. Our last game of Sunday, though, going straight to it. This is uh, potentially Big Ben Swan song. Still no uh, official announcement yet. But, uh, man, this was – Don't retire. You know, I had a – I talked about it. I, I had the opportunity to go to the game and you know, wasn't able to attend. And I've got a few guys that I work with that went, and uh, they were they, – part of the reason they wanted to go was because of Big Ben. Yeah. And even they said, man, like, it's, it's, kinda, it's time. Yeah. It's kind of sad, you know. It's – I think it's part of why we romanticize you know, going out on top so much. 
Like not many people are able to do that. Not many people are emotionally able to do that. You want to keep going until you have absolutely nothing left. That's definitely what happened here. <laughs> I would, I would feel bad as a coach or as a team administrator, if I allowed big Ben to get back on the field next year, like this was it's time. Yeah, it's, and it sucks. It, it really sucks. And there's, there's nothing that else to say said, about it. That being said, 100% first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And we will, we will absolutely. History. We'll definitely get into that debate if he announces his retirement. Because I, I, I'll raise you Thomas Brady, a.k.a. Terry Bradshaw. Bradshaw. Uh, if you actually look at Terry Bradshaw's body of work as a quarterback, he was garbage. The most overrated quarterback in NFL history. Wow, we are definitely going to have to revisit this topic. <laughs> and we will in a future bracket time, but not just yet. <laughs> we'll get there, that's a, I promise. That's a teaser. That's a teaser <laughs> and a half. Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but that's not just for wait. a while yet. We have, <laughs> we have a bit to go here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we actually have something to say about the home team, the winning team, a, a couple yeah. things, really. Travis Kelsey threw for a touchdown. By that point, I turned the game off. Sorry, right. didn't get to see that. Well, I did get I to saw, see. I saw a great tweet from the head of EA Sports Madden. He said, "Wow, ninety nine club. Is there anything Kelsey can't do?" And then, if you know who Ryan Moody is, make a lot of sense that it was him that replied, uh, yep. "Kelsey can't fix Madden. It's something he can't do. Uh, I don't think anybody can do that." <laughs> yeah, I I think I even retweeted that one. That was perfect. Uh, He wasn't the only one playing out of position and doing amazing things, scoring touchdowns. Nick Uh, Algretti. Nick Algretti. Offensive tackle, man. We got another big man TD. This one I saw, this put him up 21 to nothing. And as cool as a big man TD is, what's even cooler is when you throw the NFL sack leader on the ground like a rag doll and then run into the end zone and catch the pass with absolutely nobody around you. I, I didn't see Kelsey's play, but that was the most – that was the singular most magnificent play of football I've seen all year. All year. I dare you. I dare you to tell me a better play. You won't. That was the play of the NFL season. I, I'm going to say it, the college season too. There wasn't a college play that was better than that. You can I mean, talk about that catch in the Oklahoma game against whoever they were playing. I don't remember it anymore. Like that's that's how relevant that play is to me at this point. That touchdown takes the cake. Nebraska it was against Nebraska. This is like way off topic, but you you said you know your favorite play of the season. My personal favorite play of the season would be uh, the Chris Olave touchdown that got him the record for career receiving touchdowns at Ohio State. Since I was there for it, and it was awesome. No, no love for the big boy TD. I see how it is. I see how it is. I gotta throw some respect on Chris Olave's name. Uh, anyway, back to the NFL. Also worth mentioning. Last little bit on the Chiefs here. Uh, almost yeah, two years to the date since they ran out of fireworks uh, right. in the playoffs three years ago. Uh, I can't Unreal. remember who they were playing. Uh, they did it again. And it was the same announcement on the Jumbotron 
sorry we ran out of fireworks director complaints to uh fan services come on man you have to know at this point you need more than six touchdowns worth of fireworks it's the kansas city chiefs that's what they're known for anymore at this point yeah. scoring a lot of points you need to have like 10 touchdowns worth of fireworks if the chiefs score 70 points i will forgive you for running out of fireworks 42 are you kidding me that's like an average home game come on right right and uh man you know it would have been nice if uh sunday night football if this would have capped off what was in my opinion a pretty awful weekend of football uh but unfortunately it wasn't the nfl for whatever reason on super wild card weekend this year not too much super about it by the way uh, for some reason, they decided that they were going to uh, throw a game on Monday night. And yeah. I'll say this, at least they made sure that this matchup would take place on Sunday night next week, giving the Monday team the winner, you know, as much time possible. Um, I wish they would have had the Bucks eagles play primetime, even though that's clearly was not going to be a, a good primetime game to watch anyway. But, you know, a couple hours – couple extra hours, you know, more than 24. Uh, it, it makes a difference, and especially given uh, Bruce Arians and his staff that much extra time to start scouting both teams, looking over film of both teams. I, I don't, I don't like it. And we'll we'll talk a little more about specifically the Monday night game uh, in the playoffs here momentarily. But I want to talk about the game first. And uh, the Cardinals lost this one, 34 to 11. They didn't score until the second half. This was brutal. And Kyler Murray had one of the absolute worst interceptions I've ever seen thrown. Well, just worst and performances overall. That too. That, that too. That was that was one of the historically bad quarterback performances in the playoffs. Unreal. Absolutely not MVP worthy. Like uh, you know, Mitch right. Trubisky winning the first ever. <laughs> um well, Dak Prescott won the MVP this year, so. Hey, something you know, about that's, losing that's quarterbacks. two for two, losing quarterbacks, yep. <laughs> a little consolation there. This is uh, an interesting stat. Passer ratings. Yeah. Kyler Murray, 40.9. Odell Beckham Jr., 118.8. Which, by the way, Odell Beckham Jr., and his storied career, like I said on the broadcast, dude made one catch, and everybody's been talking about it ever since, right? I will uh, say, I will say, in defense of Odell Beckham Jr., I never saw a fit in Cleveland at all. You know, whether he got hurt or not in his time there, that really wasn't the right environment for an Odell Beckham Jr. type player. It's not the identity of the Browns. It never has been. I don't think they can make it that. I don't think that'll work in the AFC North. Even still, he had a couple of thousand-yard seasons in Cleveland. So he is a good receiver, and maybe it's a maybe this is an LA kind of guy. Maybe this is really going to work. I was about you. you led me straight it. to it because yeah. he had besides the passer rating, which is hilarious, by the way. Right. He had an amazing game. We've talked about Cooper Cup ad nauseum almost whether it's how great he was for my fantasy team, whether it's winning our offensive player of the year, he was bottled up. I don't think they went to Cooper Cup once in that game. And yet 
Odell Beckham was just running free all day. It, 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 the Rams were actually able to make the best of the situation of what are you going, who are you going to cover? Who are you going to leave open? Something right. everybody was thinking would happen in Cleveland and just didn't. Right. And they were able to actually do that in uh, LA. It was, it was beautiful to see. Another thing that was beautiful to see was Cam Akers back playing hard, running hard, hitting people hard. And, there was one that was pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, before we get there, though, having Cam Akers back, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I like to talk about every playoffs. It's really – it feels like a whole new season, right, that Wayne Gretzky quote. But also, if you're getting all of your players back, like your key pieces back healthy in time for the playoffs, that is the recipe for going on a huge run almost seemingly out of nowhere, right? So the Titans getting back Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, all of their offensive pieces basically are all back to start the playoffs. I mean, come on. The Rams getting everybody back to start the playoffs, including one of the best running backs that, I mean, gosh, in the NFC, I would say. I mean, that is legitimately, I'm talking, he's up there to me with an Alvin Kamara or Ezekiel Elliott, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy and prove that to people yet. He has that talent, no doubt. Getting him back is so huge, and that's going to factor into this playoff run. I absolutely believe the Rams can go very far here. And he was, I mean, I I think he was kind of underrated too. I think you're absolutely right there. And he has a pretty good mix of power, agility, speed. He's got pretty much everything you want in an NFL running back. Right. Coming back to this hit, though. Yeah. Man, so on Cam Akers' part, I think this was a clean hit for the record. I think Buda Baker kind of did it to himself. The way I saw it, he came in head down Mm -hmm. and took the shoulder to the side of the helmet. Now, you could say he was leading with the shoulder, and I think there's a valid argument there, and I definitely don't want to say it's Buda Baker's fault that Buda Baker got knocked out. But, man, that was uh, that was scary. And, and that's just football. That's just football, too. Because if Cam Akers is running straight up and down, Buda Baker probably gets him in the ribs, takes him down, no issue, or, right. you know, at least wraps him up. You know, no issues. It was, it was a hard play, a tough play. Cam Akers pissed off a lot of the uh, – the Cardinals defense, I don't think he realized how bad Buda Baker was hurt at the time. Uh, that was, I don't think, you know, he wasn't looking at him. I don't oh, think anybody no way you would him. expect him to get knocked out from that. That's like just one of those, no. you lower your shoulder, keep going kind of a play. It's supposed to happen all the time. It's supposed to be what yep. you do as a running back. So, yeah, that's, that's just football, man. Happens. It is, it is a, Probably the best player on that Cardinals defense. It was pretty rough for them. Yeah, and it's they got all off season to get better, man. Uh, that's right. that's really all there it. is to say here. Yeah, that's <laughs> really it. all there is to say here. That's I will say it, though, though, it is sad seeing that we probably won't see Larry Fitzgerald again. Um, he, <sighs> I don't see a way he comes back next year, and really didn't get to play a whole lot this year anyway. 
So you think of the Cardinals, at least when I think of the Arizona Cardinals, a lot of time I think of Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald. He is the Arizona Cardinals in my mind. Right. So it's it's kind of kind of bittersweet, and uh, you absolutely didn't want to see this game go this way. After that first Cardinals Rams game, you kind of knew that that's not you, the Cardinals were not going to dominate the Rams every time they played. Right. But I didn't expect the pendulum to go completely back the other way, especially in a playoff game. That was whew, right. That was. I would hope at least one of these games was close and competitive, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is, and. You know, I think the other – the big thing here, Tug, thank you for watching the stream with us, man. And uh, we got your got your question up here. Yeah, Fitz did not play at all. You're absolutely right. Um, right. But the Cardinals and the Rams, what, what what's the rationale of having it on Monday in the first place? I mean, all about that TV money, man. Nothing else to say about it. Is what it is at yeah, this point. I mean, that's that's the like you said, thing. like you said up top with it. I mean, there's at least they've made to where the Rams will be playing last next week. Yeah, but it's it doesn't feel right. You know the the other thing that irritates me is that they didn't have a Monday night game last week. And I get wanting to get the playoffs set. I get the importance of it on that end. Well, but there's, I would say, that, like, you want to make sure everybody's good for Saturday. So I understand that. But aren't you going to have another Saturday next week? Yeah. So, you know, at least be consistent with your nonsensical rulings. Money's green, grass is green, and green makes the world go around. That's all there really is to it. And it's yeah. a shame. It really is a shame. And, the only other thing that was more shameful was this, this whole super wild card weekend in general. And I, you know, a lot of people are sitting there saying, Oh, it's the seven seeds. It's the seven seeds. That's where the issue is. I don't know how much of that is completely true. I think there it's is some credence to true. it, but it's not yeah. true. It's not true because we saw the other games be blowouts as well. And so, last year, the seven seed games were just fine. Right. You know, right. so it's, it made me really think is like what what was really worse this or the college football semifinals i went to twitter i went to instagram and it was unanimous across both platforms that the college football semifinals was more disappointing how do you feel about I, that man i disagree with that because at this point that's what we expect out of the college football semifinals uh, last year proved that this format could make some very interesting and good matchups in the NFL. And it just didn't happen this year for some reason. But in the college football playoff, I think the average margin of victory is 21 points in the yeah. semifinals. It happens every single year in both games. To me, the NFL playoffs here were more disappointing. Yeah, I got I got to agree with you too, honestly. I was I was expecting a few votes for the college football semifinals. Don't get me wrong. But to sweep, be unanimous across Twitter and Instagram, right. that that stunned me because there's only two games that's kind of been the MO. We've had one good college football game, college football playoff game, period, dot. So make it two, actually. 
uh, in the past three years, and that's Clemson, Alabama, and then, of course, Georgia, Alabama. Those have been the two best games, so four years, actually. I'll say uh, 2019, Clemson, Ohio State came down the wire as well. Um, that's right. That's right. Maybe that's where – maybe it was Clemson, Ohio State that I've been thinking of. I mean, gosh. it's There aren't too many examples, though. The fact that we can list them is a problem. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's and absolutely... I will say, too, it's possible that this year was more disappointing for college football because it was two SEC teams that won. Maybe it's a little bit of yeah, yeah. SEC voting there. That's possible. Uh, and I don't know that I disagree with that either, if I'm being honest. Right, right. But I think there was a very large contingent of the country that didn't want to see Cincinnati get in the playoffs because of exactly what happened. They were saying, you know, Alabama's just going to smoke them. Was, everyone knew it. At least that's what the narrative was. Yeah. And, and Alabama pretty much smoked everybody, though. Exactly. And Tug, yeah, absolutely. What did people really expect out of the college football playoff at this point? Exactly. That's what, that's, I said. That's so, what we've been saying. So yeah. I don't I don't know if there's any more point beating this drum. I just found right. it interesting that it just won unanimously. That's just that was odd to me. That's it is interesting. At the same time, look at these games. There were some good ones, I guess you could say. Uh, there were two close ones, and that's more than you could say for the college football playoff. So, <laughs> I guess they have that going for them. I don't know, man. I don't know. But that's, I mean, that I think is, that about does us for wild card today. weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that was wild card weekend, and, man, that was gross. So, next week is the divisional round. We will have to think of something else to talk about because, you know, two extra games, and we, we just hit an hour. But it was still a good show. Uh, had a good time. Talking with you, first ever live broadcast of the big little, a little rough. I'm not going to lie, but we'll we'll work through it. We'll definitely work through it, and we'll get better. We'll be back. We'll try and get a. a, Well, there's a diamond in here somewhere. (laughs) And we'll we'll try and get a uh, a more you know stand pat routine. But if you've listened to the show or know me at all, you know I've got three kids, so that's kind of rough for me trying to get on a uh, right on a on a live stream. Yes, Tug, I, I know we streamed the draft. So I know we streamed the draft. Man, it was fun. I'm looking forward to doing more of these, honestly. I'm not looking forward to doing more live awkward pauses, though. Yeah, I was Sorry, I was looking at uh, what John's saying here. Yes, we did stream the draft. And yes, we already talked about that. Play off it. <laughs> but yeah, that's all we got. Um, unless I guess we got to talk about the links that you've been seeing scrolling along the bottom there. You know, you can find them in the podcast description everywhere as well. You know, think BDT football. You can find us all sorts of places, uh, Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is BDT underscore football. That's the only difference there. Um, again, it, you're looking at it as I'm saying it, but for the people listening, it's in the description and, it's probably that's all I have, I think. So do you have any parting shots for us, man? You know, I uh I absolutely will be trying to get some stuff up on bdtfootball.com. I know I've been saying that for a while and I've been failing. Um I'm finally starting to settle in. Finally starting to 
get more comfortable, get a, a more uh, organized regimented routine here. So yeah, you moved several plates there, so I don't blame you too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm hopeful to get back into to blogging a little bit here and there. So definitely make sure to check out the website. Uh, as we do more of these live streams, tell your friends. You know, don't uh, <laughs> don't try and you know keep it a secret. All right, we want you on the live stream. If you got questions, definitely comment them. We'll try and answer them. Or you can always mail email them to mailbox at bdtfootball.com. Those are probably the biggest ones I want to shout out there. Uh, currently, I am just streaming this on my own Twitch. But as we get more used to this, be on the lookout for a tri- uh, BDT Twitch and YouTube channel. We'll, we'll try and make ourselves available there as well. I got to say, though, you know, it's uh, it's Tuesday. It's our, our middle of the week show. So, uh do you know that animals that lay eggs don't have belly buttons? Understandable. Never yeah. thought about it, but it makes sense. Right? right? Yes. Also yes, John. disappointing. I wanna I wanna fiddle with an alligator's belly button and now I can't. You you won't find it because it's not there. But yes, John, thank That's you. Cool. Thank you for mentioning that. Please hit that share button because this is going to be immortalized forever. So you will be able to uh, share this yeah. and show your friends, show your family. But that's it, man. That's all we all got right. for today. Let's get on out of here. Let's do it. Thank y'all for joining us today. Have a good one. And uh, John wants us to do his thing, but uh, no, refuse. Nope. It's uh, it's going to be a, a good old uh, peace out, Girl Scout. We're gonna we're gonna get on out of here. Y'all have a good one. Thank <laughs> you.